What would you wait 4,000 days for? The list is probably not very long, if I had to guess. For a lot of us, we had to wait 4,000 days to see playoff baseball come back to Citizens Bank Park in South Philadelphia. That is a long time. And with such a long wait come hmm, certain expectations, a higher bar to clear, some feeling that if you're going to have to wait 11 years to see a home playoff game, well, it better be worth it. Well, guess what? Do I have good news for you? If you were watching Philadelphia Phillies baseball on Friday afternoon, you saw a game that was 11 years in the making for sure, but pretty much worth it. <laughs> pretty much worth all of that wait at least about as close as you can possibly get to making it worth it. The Phillies routed the Atlanta Braves nine to one in yes, their first home playoff game in 11 years since the fateful night where Roy Halladay and Chris Carpenter dueled to the end. Ryan Howard was injured and then, and an era ended, but a new era is born. It was mostly born in the bottom of the third inning. And we'll get into all of that in just a second. I am Paul Boyer. I am joined by the Athletics' Matt Gelb. Matt, uh, I don't really know how many superlatives you can heap onto a game like that, but that really was about as good an outcome and a process and everything that you possibly could have hoped for today, wasn't it? Good evening. Hello. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think remember we talked about, you know, near the end of the season, we talked about how we all had this image in our minds of how the drought was supposed to end. Mm -hmm. And I think we all had this image in our minds of like how postseason baseball was supposed to return to Citizens Bank Park. And it was perfect. It really was. I mean, it was perfect. Nola on the mound. Hoskins with the biggest hit. It was essentially after Hoskins hits the home run. And I know maybe it wasn't like this for everyone, but it was like a, it was like a six inning party uh, in the seats. Mm. You know, like people were just basking in this moment in, in, in this game, in this team and how unexpected of a ride, uh, this has been for this team and and uh it just it it was perfect and, and it was an amazing crowd and I, and my memory i don't remember anything anymore like kids have done that to me uh, <laughs> yeah feel you I, I don't i don't remember anything anymore i, I use the google google uh, keep it's a great app I, I i take a lot of notes on there because i forget things um i have the most random notes in my google keep app but I, I sort of remember what the crowd was like, you know, back in the glory days. And I don't think this was neither, you know, I don't know if this was better or worse, but it, it felt it felt pretty amazing. And, um, I think about what the crowd was like when, when Roy Halleck threw a no-hitter in the postseason, and it was almost like a, it built to, a, you know, it was built to this, like, big moment, a crescendo. And 
I don't know. Like the Hoskins home run, I, I think is gonna is gonna rank up there in, in postseason moments in this ballpark, and it's gonna be replayed on that scoreboard as long as that ballpark stands. And that is uh, the ultimate respect for Reese Hoskins, who uh, this city has a very complicated relationship with him, and <laughs> it, he, he has always existed in extremes. And here is game two of this series, and here is game three, and that is Reese Hoskins. And the Phillies are one win away, Paul, from the NLCS, and that is insane. It's it's absolutely wild to think that what up to this point has been the dream best case scenario thinking ahead to even before they, they took the field against the Cardinals has basically come to pass. You know, some things here and there haven't really gone to plan and that's fine. You know, it never, it never does fully go to plan, but I don't think you can find a whole lot of people who would quibble with the thought that, you know, the Phillies have arrived here on the back of a, a two game road sweep in St. Louis vanquishing the team that eliminated them the last time they were in the playoffs to come back and immediately take the first game on the road in Atlanta stumbling game two, not their best effort, but to come home in a pivotal swing game in a short series and yes, be held in check by a guy in Spencer Strider, who for the first two innings looked mm. like he had for most of this year, he looked fantastic, but whether it was the layoff, whether it was uh, some lingering minor effects from the injury, whatever the cause was, probably more the layoff than anything, but all of it is supposition. He tired. He got tired. Brian Snicker is still waiting to make the call to the bullpen. Yeah. You know, he, <laughs> I couldn't he believe just, it. I couldn't believe how long they waited. I couldn't they, believe they it. They did. They did. And, and part of me gets it because he looked so good for the first two innings, but I was watching this game and thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, top of the lineup, middle of the lineup, not really getting it done. It always just kind of felt like another one of those daycare games where if something was going to happen. It was going to start at the bottom of the order. Really easy to say that now, but that's what happened. You know, here come the Phillies locked in a scoreless tie through two and a half innings. And Brandon Marsh, of all people, draws a four pitch walk to start off the inning. And that's your first clue right there. That's okay. when you start to think, ooh, it's not just that Strider was missing. He missed wide pretty significantly on a couple of those pitches. And you start to think, oh, OK, well, maybe, maybe we got something cooking here. Gene Segura comes up and he strikes out. Yes, but he works along at bat. And that's further proof. You're starting to think, oh, all right, maybe they're maybe they're seeing them a little bit better. Maybe this stuff is flattening out a little bit. Maybe, maybe something can happen here. And then who but leadoff man of the future, Bryson Stott, comes up, works another long at bat, and pokes a double down the right field line. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, now we're starting to cook. And it all comes from that bottom half, that bottom third, really, of the lineup. They got it going. Brandon Marsh walking and then going first to third on the throwing error on the pickoff. Man, that um, was a ballsy decision. It, it was. <laughs> He's one of very few people on this roster who could have pulled that off. And maybe a better throw gets I forgot him. all about that. That's funny. Now I'm reliving, you know. Yeah. I, I poured myself a pretty healthy pour of bourbon. And uh, this is my oh, dinner, wait. essentially, because I, nice. I had lunch at the ballpark before the game. 4.30 starts, by the way, are the worst time because... 
uh, you don't know when to eat. And um, I uh, forgot about Marsh taking that extra bag, which he probably shouldn't have done. But also don't gloss over like the bat Segura had in between yes. there. He made it now, but like it was a really, it was a long at bat. It was really good at bat. Yes, it absolutely was. And then the Phillies are cooking. They have an early lead. They scored first. The Braves did not score first. They showed that graphic that I was talking about the last ah. time we were talking. 73 and 13, I think, was the record when they score first, something like that, something absolutely preposterous. And so the Braves didn't score first. And so now you think, oh, oh, okay. So we have Bryson Stott on second base here, one away, and Kyle Schwarber comes up, and they put him on to get to Reese Hoskins. And at this point, you're starting to think, well, man, that's kind of a low blow, but I get it. Schwarber has that advantage advantage he's coming up for the second time he's probably had you know a pretty good look at strider he didn't strike out he he was able to get the ball in play which is you know a, a nice start to begin with but they put him on and hoskins comes up and he is in he's stuck in as bad a quagmire as schwarber is to this point we all know that and what happens on the first pitch but a perfect confluence of events strider throws the slowest fastball he has thrown this entire season <laughs> and hoskins is ready for it and ambushes him and and that's all there is to it he was ready for a first pitch fastball he got one 94 center cut not 97 not 98 nothing like that reese had been a little bit late on some of the harder stuff so that helped him i think yes yes and uh -huh. You know, he was ready for it, and he absolutely ambushed him. The fact that all of these things came together, you have a long-term player who's been with this team for a number of years through some of the worst times and now into the upswing, the, the, the beginning of what we hope is the upswing, who has who is really just off to a bad start. In the playoffs, there's no way to sugarcoat that. Both offensively and defensively, he's been, he's he's had a bad spotlight on him up until this point. He comes up with this being a one-run game with the Phillies just craving this game, knowing some kind of ugliness awaits them tomorrow on Saturday. And he just <laughs> absolutely pummels a no-doubter to left field where he knows the instant he hits it, that it is gone that he doesn't need to watch it go, that he can turn back to the dugout, yell at his teammates, throw his bat six feet into the earth. All of that is perfect. And you're right, because what you said at the outset of this is that is going to live on forever, regardless of whether the Phillies actually let this series slip away and things are still in their favor. There's a lot of series to go and they actually have to finish them off. But regardless of how this series ends, I think that is a moment that is an inning that is going to live on and something that we're going to lean to for, for comfort in tougher times to pull up a highlight when we need to, when we're feeling like we need a little pick me up <laughs> because everything about that was just fantastic. I can't even imagine what it was like to actually be there and listen to that crowd erupt. It was really cool. And oh, yeah, I mean, from from the start, I mean, like the crowd was really good and it was as promised. And it's funny uh, here. I'm watching the Potters and Dodgers and the Luis Garcia has entered. 
with oh, a two one lead in the seventh inning. This would be the Luis Garcia. Everyone's like, oh, it'd be the Nola series. Well, no, it'd be the Luis Garcia series. Of course it um, would. God, uh, I, I think um, the crowd was great. It, it was, it was, it was cool. And and I think about and I, I just included this in my in my story that I, I wrote about Hoskins' home run and. I've had players like ask me and like they over the years, not just not this year, like in the past, they're like, you know, why does everyone talk about like how great it is to play here? Because they didn't necessarily mm. feel the love the last mm. years and, and understandably so. I mean, they they didn't win enough to get the kind of love that this team is now getting. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a tough place to play because uh, if you're not playing well, they will remind you of that. And rightfully so. But. Uh, they kept asking, like, why? Why does everyone talk about what it's like to play here and, like, how great it is? And everyone, you know, who had seen it and witnessed it and experienced it would just be like, you know, just just wait. Like, you know, you have to see it. You have to be here. You have to experience it to understand it. And so many of those guys who passed through here for the last decade, you know, didn't didn't get to experience it. They didn't get to the other side. And Reese Hoskins did. And... I, I I stayed and talked to Castellanos a little bit after the game uh, when, when like everyone walked away and I was like, what have you learned about Reese Hoskins since uh, you became his teammate? And the first thing he that came to mind is like he you know he's like he should be the spokesperson for our team. Like he's just so he's such a good speaker. He's so likable. He's so hardworking. He's just a consistent human being. Like I, you know, and these are Castellanos' words, and he says I have a lot of respect for him, and his eyes were just like kind of lighting up, and he's like, he's like, you know, no one on this team deserves that moment more than he does, mm. and I, I think he's right. Like I really do. I mean, this this city has been really hard on Reese Hoskins, and, and I'm not I'm not gonna ding people who have been hard on him or who haven't. That's fine. Like your opinion is your opinion. Um but let's separate opinion from it and look at the fact. And like this city has been hard on Reese Hoskins. I think that is uh, undeniable. And whether it was because of the way he started his career and, you know, the fact that he was one of the few bright spots in a really bad stretch and represented this homegrown talent that they had finally had eluded them for so long. And they finally found a guy. Um, but he's not Ryan Howard. He's not an all-star. He's not a superstar. He's not. Yeah even you know maybe not even the fourth best player on this team i don't know um but but he's a productive major league player and he's a guy who cares and i've never understood because reese hoskins to me is is the kind of athlete and the personality that this city should love they should love this guy like i i've never seen a player of his stature you know as a as a good player a, a a solid player like take more time with fans and uh, before games and, and kids and um, he, 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 he wants to win. He, and I know he's a flawed player. I know he's streaky and I know he's frustrating, but it just felt like this was his moment and he rose to it. And there was just something so perfect about it. There really was. I, I'm, I'm obviously right there with you. And I think a lot of people who are probably listening to this might be on our side with this anyway, but th- there is a certain, Un... the best way to put this is that I don't know how to categorize it. There's a certain type of player that comes through this city that comes onto this team that could be fine. I mean, they could be, they could be a good player, not a great player, certainly not a terrible player, 
who just for some reason has a, a an annoying trend or an annoying trait or quality about their game that just prevents them from being fully integrated within this fan base. It's really hard to to quantify. I, I can't quantify it. But I look at Reese Hoskins and I and I've been trying for years now, for years, literal years, <laughs> to really understand what it is about his game or anything about him in general, really, that is that that puts him off to people. And I don't know what it is. I have to figure that it has something to do with the streakiness. You know, when he a couple of years ago, he's not the same hitter that he was even just a couple of years ago. But a couple of years ago, you know, we're talking about 18, 19 into 20. He would be very, very patient at the plate. Not a high average guy would hit, you know, 240s, something like that. In his worst season, he was down in like the 220s. But he would draw walks and he would work counts and he would get on base that way. And that's one of those things that I think just the style of play and the approach at the plate. Yeah, the pop is there. But if you're a low average guy, something something just didn't seem to click about the way he was playing at the plate. And I, I tried subtly and not so subtly for years to try and raise a little bit of like awareness that, hey, you don't get good major league players that often you don't no i mean look what they came out of the rebuild with right not like, a lot I, yes <laughs> not, like, not as much as they thought they would no exactly that's, that's exactly right the ryan howard point is there and i think that's salient and i think we've been waiting for the next one of him in some way the the offensive cornerstone you think of first base as you know the guy who is always hitting third or fourth and driving in 100, 110, you know, hopefully popping an average in the 270s or something like that, slugging 550 or whatever. And that's just that that is never what Reese Hoskins has been. He's also never been Mark Teixeira, Adrian Gonzalez, Don Mattingly with the glove. Like he's not a gold glove first baseman. Okay. He's also not a complete vacuum out there either in the in the opposite way. He's not a terrible defensive first baseman. Everything about Reese Hoskins's game is at worst good or slightly below average to me. And I just, I'm sorry, Luis Garcia just threw 101. Of course. Called strike through. I, <laughs> Actually it was a ball, but it was, it was a, uh, it was a called strike through. That, well, that guy, I'm that sorry, guy haunts me. No, that's okay. Yeah. That guy haunts me for different reasons. Um, I just, the, the Hoskins thing just, it, it, it does. It bothers me. I'm I'm a little bit sad. But maybe. But do you think this changes it? Like, do you think this has changed? Do you think people no, who have felt a certain I, way about Reese, they're changed by this or now? No? Uh, maybe a little. I I think the home run was an enormous moment, and I I don't want to assign too much importance to this because I can let it go. And obviously, in the context of the game, it means very very little. But him dropping the double play relay probably you know brutal just, an, just what a inning. terrible play yeah no it was it was an awful play and i don't know where it came from it was like a total brain cramp like his, he forgot how to squeeze his mitt or something but you look at that coming an inning or two after his home run and people are just like oh it's all gonna start with a hoskins misplay again and i i can't fully put myself in the minds of those people so i don't know how long it's going to be something they latch on to 
but I can't help but feel like every misstep this guy makes is something that sets him back and prevents him from fully being accepted, from getting all of the goodwill he probably deserves. He, again, you've said it, he's not a superstar, but he also doesn't have to be. He's just a very, he's a very good on balance major league baseball player. You can see that in his season lines. Yeah, he's streaky, but what happens at the end of the year? At the end of the year, he posts a line that is solidly above average every year, every single year. So why can't we, the larger majority fan base, come around to accepting that this is a good player and doesn't really deserve this complicated relationship that you were talking about? So I'm going to read you something that I just saw. It's a comment on one of my, on my story that I posted okay. while we were talking. Okay. And it's from a commenter named Mary. And she says that uh, she's rooted for the Phillies for 56 years. Okay. And she says, uh, I'm still a little weepy for what he did today and what he got to experience. Through some horrific seasons, there was Reese, level-headed, a great teammate, a consummate gentleman, and honorable ambassador for all that's good about this game and team and city. He gave us a reason to cheer, to keep tuning in, to keep believing. Today, I hope he felt how grateful we are for him. And Mary puts it very well. I mean, like, who knows where this ends up, like you said, and and who knows how they're going to get 27 outs in game four. And (laughs) we can talk about that next. But um, this is a moment that will be replayed in the scoreboard until that ballpark is torn down. And... uh, if this season ends with nothing else, like at least people who follow this team got that. And, you know, weeks ago, I don't think anyone thought they were going to get a moment like this. And, uh, it's pretty cool what they did. Yeah. That's well said. I, I hope more people are thinking like Mary and I hope I'm imagining this more than perceiving reality, but that that's fantastic. Okay. Yes. Nine to one. Game four. Phil- Yes, Phillies win game three, but they still have work to do. We have a game four sitting in front of us when, Saturday when's afternoon. The last time, when's the last time they clinched a postseason series at home? I'm testing you because it wasn't in 11 or 10. I never covered them clinching a postseason series at home, so it must have been in 2009. The they NLCS? The NLCS. Against right? the, the Dodgers. Dodgers series. Yeah, because they, they didn't clinch at home, at home against five, the Rockies. Right. Yeah. Jimmy wanted... Jimmy made it three to one in the series in game four yes. with the walk-off. And then they won game, uh, game five at home. That was the last time they want to post clinch the postseason series at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so- and they have a chance to do it Saturday <laughs> afternoon. You know, it's just, it, it's an extension of all of these first time since dot, dot, dot things. Like we keep, we sure. keep reaching back now, you know, first playoff game since 2011, first, um, the first playoff appearance since 2011, um, first playoff series win since 2010. You know, we're just we're reaching back year by year, and now we're <laughs> now we're getting into 2009. Um, this is the time to do it, but I also think that Saturday is going to be uh, not the best brand of baseball you can possibly put forth to an audience. So, all right, so let's set the stage here. The Braves are going to go with Charlie Morton, former Philly great. Um, he's been very bad in his last few starts, which is a little unusual, but you know, this happens when you start to approach 40 years old as a major league baseball player, things start to leave you. And as good as Charlie Morton was for the last few years, it's kind of understandable that things may be leaving him. That said, can't take it for granted because he's been very good in the playoffs. The Phillies for their part, they're going to counter with 
your prediction. You called this. This is what you said you do. Noah Syndergaard will start the game. Um, now, I didn't say it was a good idea, but this what? is what I would have done. This is what I would have done. So hey, I, I applaud them for following me, which is probably bad, a bad idea. What? But this is what I would have done. It's the path of yeah. least resistance. And again, it's not going to be a start in the traditional sense, in the traditional right. word of a, of, of a start. It won't be a start, um, but it's going to be him to start the game. So like we're, we're thinking two, three innings sort of situation, kind of like what the Braves were thinking with Strider. Like maybe you get one time and change. I think he gets one time to the order. Yeah. Okay. And okay. if it's good, then he keeps going. And if it's not, I, I've mapped this out in my head. I mean, I'm trying, I guess maybe the easiest way is you work backward. Let's work backwards first, right? Okay. Let's say between Alvarado and Dominguez, you've got nine outs combined. Okay. Is that, okay. you, you know, like we're talking about best case scenario here, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking mm-hmm. about their best path to 27 outs in game four. I think if you can combine Alvarado and Dominguez for nine outs, I think that's reasonable. Okay. Absolutely. So now you got 18 more. I think Zach Eflin's going to um, factor in the middle of this game. I think in sure. an ideal plan for them, Zach Eflin gets six outs tomorrow. Okay. okay. So okay. now you're down to 12 outs. I think that Syndergaard starts it. The first guy out of the bullpen, if it's a if it's to clean up a mess, is Bellotti. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Cindergard if gets them to a clean spot, maybe somebody else comes in after him. Maybe it's a matchup thing. Maybe hand. Uh, if it's a pocket of lefties, you know, in the fourth or fifth inning or something. Um, so let's say Cindergard gives you ten outs and Bellotti gives you two. That's your last okay. twelve. I think okay. you're looking at, yeah, that's your best case. Syndergaard, 10 outs. Bilotti, 2 outs. Eflin, 6 outs. Alvarado and Dominguez combined for 9 outs. Now, that's best case. And that's sure. asking a lot. That's I think that's a that's a plan. It's a blueprint. But uh, I don't know. That's, uh, that's a lot of risk in that blueprint. <laughs> well, I, I think the most interesting thing that's going to come of this is that it, if we've learned one thing from 2022 Noah Syndergaard, it's that he doesn't have the put away stuff of his heyday and a lot more balls get put in play. I think one thing that concerned me a little bit from the middle innings uh, before Nick Castellanos really put the game away, that was the first point at which I really felt like I could relax even a little bit. You weren't partying? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? No, I, I didn't. I didn't really even exhale until Castellanos hit that that two run single to right center. Fair enough. Uh, just, you know, I'm on guard. I've seen some weird crap this year. Um, <laughs> look, I, I, I think it would be great if Syndergaard could get through three innings with little trouble, but he, he, like we were saying is putting the ball in play a little bit more. He's not overpowering guys. And the defense was a little bit tight in those middle innings. I looked at guys, I looked at Bohm. You know, looking a little, he laid the first Acuna ground ball. He, you know, short hopped the second Acuna ground ball and third time's a charm. He finally threw, threw him out cleanly. You know, thank you, Ronald, for giving him so many chances to practice on you. Uh, Reese, for whatever reason, had his enormous brain cramp and, you know, just is seeming a little bit shaky right now. Segura seems fine. Stott seems pretty even keel. 
the defense is something we've harped on kind of with this team. It's been a little bit better and they did their, their subs late in the game, but that was with a nice comfortable lead. I just worry they about Gal- the guys. They got play. Dalton Guthrie into a postseason game. They sure cross did that off the, you know, cross that off the spring training. You know, you saw this coming thing. It'll look, I, I was, I was pushing for him an inning earlier. Even if we're being honest, I was, I was ready for him to come in and just like, all right, put the clamps on. <laughs> But no, like I, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about Syndergaard. I, I don't quibble with the op, with the decision to start him, because yeah, I was yeah. thinking about the falter thing that I said, and I'm like, well, but the Braves absolutely eat left-handers for lunch if they don't have Alvarado's stuff, and I'm like, do you really want to risk that? And I'm like, okay, fine, put Noah in there, see what happens. No, and they, they, they got recent looks at falter. And I think Bailey That's is a, a solid major league pitcher. I think he could be a number five in rotation, but I do think there is a lot to his game that is about uh, his deception. And, and I think he has an advantage when he's facing hitters that haven't seen him a lot or haven't good point. seen him yeah. ever. And they got some pretty good looks at him uh, late in the season. Twice he faced the Braves. And uh, I, I, I think your feeling is dead, dead on like, you can think that this is the right call for them to make, but you can be not comfortable with it at all. It's it, it's going to be, it looks like right now, it's going to be a bloody knuckle kind of afternoon out there because Morton is on a cold streak. The Phillies are going to try and piece together this 27 out situation. Thankfully, make mistake, the Braves are going to try to piece DO too. I mean, like, I don't know sure. how far that, sure. you know, like Morton, like you said, has not been good of late. And it's not like they're expecting him to go out and throw six or seven innings tomorrow. I mean, I think I mean, the, really the good, he gives him five. Yeah. The good news for the Braves is that even as I, I did not like the way Jake Odorizzi looked, and I thought they should have piled more than just a couple of runs on him, but he did give them three innings. And he, a lot of their big arms were saved. You know, the yeah, guys like Iglesias, McHugh, McHugh got Colin up in the McHugh. Bullpen, and yeah. he's the kind of guy who, like, they would have had to use in this game if. Mm-hmm. If Odorizzi didn't give him more, and McHugh did warm up, but he never got in the game. So they do have him, you know, maybe to come in behind Morton tomorrow. Yep, yep. So, I mean, the Braves are going to have guys to throw at you. It's not going to be it's not going to be a cakewalk of any kind in the later innings, which is why I think it's important that they jump out in front early again. You know, they, they did that with Strider in the third inning today on Friday. They're, they're probably going to need to do it again, not just because of that whole thing about the Braves scoring first, but just because what sets up behind Charlie Morton is pretty daunting. Um, it would really be nice <laughs> just to put it simply. It would really be nice if they were able to jump out in front early again and, and get that place as energetic as it was today, because I, I really think, and it really seemed like that energy fed into the way they were playing in those early, like that six run inning, the crowd was just great. Brief aside to say, don't do the opposing team's rally cry, even in mocking. It doesn't come through on TV. It makes it sound like you're 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 creating a home environment for the visiting team. Don't do the opposing team's rally cry as a mock chant. Just leave that at home. Um, it would be nice to keep that energy moving. The energy feels like a big part of this game. It's potentially their last home playoff game. This is their last chance to use that energy, to really feed off that energy. So don't let, you know, don't let the air out of the balloon too soon. You know, but there's a lot of talk about shutdown innings and early momentum and things like that and how real any of that really is. It kind of feels like Saturday is going to make a lot of that pretty real. Wouldn't you say? I almost like, I almost look at 
I almost look at game four as game five for them. I mean, if mm. you lose game four and you go back to Atlanta, Freed starts. And I know there's some questions about, you know, what, what kind of condition is he in? Because he wasn't himself in game one. Uh, you know, maybe the Phillies start wheeling in short rest, maybe not. But, you know, if you go back to Atlanta, the, you know, the, the deck is stacked against you. It is. Uh, let's be real. So I think uh, I think you have to treat game four like it's game five. You have to treat it like you lose and, you, and you, your season's over. You almost have to think about it that way. Uh, so that's how I feel about it. I really do. And I think it'll be managed that way. Uh, I think they'll be aggressive. I think um, the shadows will probably play a factor. They don't play too many 207 games in Citizens Bank Park, I think. Mm. Um, you know, we think it's going to be a high-scoring game that the shadows might um, might might depress the scoring a little bit, maybe, you know, uh, around 3 o'clock, but mm. maybe even 2.30. So That's I fair. think that will play a factor. Um, but yeah, because the, the sun sets toward uh left field behind the left field foul pole beyond the scoreboard and the bleachers out there and when it gets to a certain point yeah it would cast shadows from the scoreboard out across the yeah. plate yeah it um, wasn't a factor much at all today like the game started for 37 mm-hmm. uh like center field was in sun and the batter's eye was in sun and i've i've heard guys tell me that it's hard to hit there when uh, the batter's eyes in the sun and the home plate is in the shadows. And even when the mound and, and the home plate are in the, are both in the shadows, if mm. the batter's eyes in the sun, it's hard. Um, that was like that for the first few innings, uh, in, in, in Friday's game. Uh, it'll be a little different, obviously, uh, with a two Oh seven start. Interesting. A couple things to keep an eye on a little, little sense of urgency, even though the Phillies are the team with the two, one series lead, they are one win away from, <laughs> Can you believe it? The National League Championship Series, but in California. Oh, don't boy. know where, but somewhere it would be somewhere in California. <laughs> somewhere in California, separated by a hundred miles or so. Um, wow, it's it's amazing to think about. And they could clinch on Saturday. Uh, either way, right now they are in the driver's seat. Saturday could be a very interesting game of baseball. Keep your eyes peeled. You never know what might uh, what might transpire out there. They might be playing like it's their game five, even with the lead. Um, either way, Phillies are on the doorstep of a, a big upset. One win away from the NLCS against either the Padres or the Dodgers. And one more playoff game at home. Two o'clock Eastern time Saturday. Phillies will take the mound. Noah Syndergaard getting the ball, getting a couple outs, and we'll see what happens from there. For Matt, I'm Paul. Enjoy this one. Soak in the highlights. Rewatch that Hoskins homer a few more times before you go to bed so you have some sweet dreams. And we will see you on Saturday.